And I'm going to, there's definitely a lot of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs there, just kind of one verse ones that we're not going to be able to touch upon all of them, okay? Um, But I want to, uh, there's six of them that I want to just kind of to look at that kind of stand out that are important. And so we're going to, uh, we're going to kind of begin in chapter 4, and we're going to end up in chapter 12. So um, we're going to um, kind of just hop through our way there, through Ecclesiastes, all right? So let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us this morning um, by your word. It is quick, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to speak to us, Lord. And I just pray for open hearts this morning, my heart and everybody's heart here, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit can take your word and make it come alive to us and speak to us. And we give you the thanks and praise. Your name we ask. Amen. Amen. And it is good to see you all here. And we we are grateful that we can do the online thing, but it's always so good to see the white of your eyes here. I'm seriously, and I there's something that happens when we're gathered together that can happen um, when we're watching online. So online is a great option when you can't make it here, when you're sick and and um, and, and things like that, or traveling. But we hope that you, you that you make that effort to be here. Um, it, it's a beautiful thing. So um, this time of year, I, I like to go out and do some hunting. But often that means getting up like at 5 or 5.30 in the morning. And some of you do that already, right? You just, that's normal for you. But some of you don't, I don't think. So I don't usually get up quite that early, okay? Um, But I get up and I get out there and then I get to see the sunrise and things like that. And then it's kind of like, it was worth it, right? But when you're laying in bed and it's kind of like, oh, man, it's just, uh, it sometimes can be hard, right? All right. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is where we're going to begin this morning. I don't want to go down too many rabbit trails. We're going to begin in verse 12, uh, 7 through 12 of chapter 4. All right? Chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. So there's um, the first principle I want to pull out of here. So it says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. So meaningless comes up quite a bit, right? In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says everything is meaningless. And, and so that's some sarcasm there, because obviously not everything is meaningless, right? But... Solomon is pursuing all these things to the end, and he says, you know what, if you don't have God in the process, you can have wealth, you can have pleasure, you can do all these things, but it's going to be kind of like, man, that was all meaningless, because I, I put on all this hard work, and I'm giving it away to other people, and they don't love it or respect it as much as I do, and they squander it, and so he says it's meaningless. All right, verse 8, then there was a man all alone, and he had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So he has wealth, but he's not content with it. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Verse 9, two are better than one because they are good, return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. You know, often this passage is, re- is uh, mentioned in where? In weddings, right? A cord of three strands is not easily broken. But it applies all to life that we need to do life together. If we think that we're just going to work and do it all for ourselves, we're going to get to the end and realize we don't have relationships in our life that are important and are meaningful. 
And you can have all the wealth in the world and be lonely. Did you know that? I think there are a lot of people that have money and they have wealth, but they're as lonely as can be. I always get amazed. They show people on TV, well, maybe during an NFL football game or a professional, and they're watching the game in their box seat and they are all by themselves. Wow. That's loneliness, folks. You can have the wealth and still be lonely. That's just, I don't know, that just doesn't make any sense to me. We all need friendships and close relationships in our life that provide fellowship, support, encouragement, accountability. If you fall down, somebody is there to pick you up. When I was in, um, it was in Guyana. No, it was in Belize. It was in Belize when I was there for a missions trip. Um, So it was in Belize, but they have this pit viper that is very deadly. Boom, it just, if it bites you, it it, it takes you out and it takes you out quickly. You don't have much of a, uh, a fighting chance. And so when they work in the sugarcane fields, in this pit viper, a lot of snakes are not aggressive. They're more passive. So they won't bite you unless you kind of kick them or, or they feel defensive, right? But this pit viper, I think it's called the Tommy Goff or something like that. This pit viper was a little bit different than is that it was aggressive so that it would, it, even if you got close to it and it wasn't threatened, it would seek you out and bite you. They were very big snakes, very deadly and poisonous. And so when they worked the sugarcane fields, they didn't work alone. They would always work in at least groups of two or three because if somebody got bitten, there wasn't somebody there to help rescue them and get them the help that they needed. You know, and I, I think that's so important in life that we have those relationships um, in our life, it should include our spouse if we are married. It should include a best friend that uh, we hang out with. You know what? You, as a married couple, your spouse is not going to provide for all your needs. Okay? Did you know that? If you didn't know that by now, I hope you you, you figure that out. In fact, the best thing to protect, protect from an affair is to have same-sex relationships that you able are able to do the hobbies that you enjoy. They have to do some of the same interests. They have proven just with research that if you have those relationships, you're less tempted to, to get into an affair because you have those relationships in place. Amen? I think that's important. That is why we even encourage small groups because you're going to develop relationships in a small group that you're not going to unfortunately develop on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning's great, but there's still something about that small group. You kind of open up your heart and you're not sharing to the, you know, you know, 80 people, you're sharing to maybe two, three, four, five people, and there's a little more of a relational connection. And you just get to know people. You find out what they enjoy and like, and it's kind of like, oh, I enjoy doing that too. And so then that's how a relationship is built, right? And you connect with people then on Sunday morning. So it helps to facilitate that. But who are you going to call in the middle of the night when your world falls apart? If your world was to fall apart, boom, right now, do you have somebody in the middle of the night that you could pick up that phone and wake them up and say, hey, I need prayer, I need help. I need somebody to stand with me. That seems pretty obvious, but I can guarantee you that probably half or more of you do not have that person in your life. And I think early on in life we have relationships, but as we get older, those relationships become a little more distant, okay? The college ones, the high school ones, and then we get into life and we move different places around the country. And to develop those relationships takes risk. Because that means I have to open up. I have to trust somebody. And those relationships t- take risk. And so often we get to the, the latter part of our lives and we don't take the time to develop those relationships. 
And we don't have the people in place to walk with. We need people in our life that we can share the, 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 the downtimes with, the victories and celebrations. That, you know, people that something good happens, and, you know, there's some, you, you need somebody that just wants to celebrate with you, that's not jealous of you, right? That is really, truly happy for you that, hey, that happened. Somebody you can talk freely with and to unload with and share some of the struggles. We need those in our life. So that first principle is that the wise value the importance of relationships. The wise value the importance of relationships. Um, just in ministry, we've learned that's just been a common theme. And when I was doing my dissertation, that was one of the things that really stood out. And we've had counselors and psychologists tell us that have come and just talked to the ministerial health and said, if there's anything that you can possibly do for your ministerial health, it is to have a friend. You don't have to have 50 or 60 friends, but you better have two or three friends that you can share your heart with and you can do life with together. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Amen? We sharpen each other. We should bring, we need those relationships that are, that bring out the best in us, that challenge us, that, you know, have fellowship with us. But also when we're not, toe in the line that say, hey, come on, you're slacking, right? And we, we need those people in our life that bring out the best in us, that believe in us, that trust us. If you want to finish the race, the Christian race, and you want to finish it strong, you need close friends in your life. If you don't, you're going to fall prey to temptation, discouragement, pride, greed, self-deceit. Uh, self-deceit is the great temptation of leadership. And the more you are elevated in leadership, the more you kind of believe you can fall into this deception. And if you don't have people around you that will speak into your life and keep you honest and that will tell you the truth, you're going to be in a tough place. Pride will get you. Um, selfishness will get you. A lot of things. All right? They value the importance of relationships. Number two, let's jump to chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. All right? A good name is better than fine perfume. The day of death is better than the day of birth. Now, you're going to kind of scratch your head on some of these, but we'll come back to it. It is better to go to the house of the morning than to go to the house of feasting. So go to a funeral is better than going to a banquet. For the death of, is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter. Are you kidding me? Because a sad face is good for the heart. Isn't laughter good for the heart? You can see the sarcasm coming through Solomon here. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. You may think, what? what in the world is Solomon talking about? You know, going to a funeral is better than going to a celebration and all this. What is he talking about? I believe the key to all this is found in verse 1, that a good name is better than what? Perfume, right? Find smelling perfume, a good name is. And, and what you find in biblical times is that a name, and often a person's name was representative of the person's character, right? And they took a lot, you know, nowadays we go through the baby book and we look, oh, I like that name, or I like that name. 
it usually is not based upon looking at that child and saying, man, that just nails that child, their character, their personality. Can you tell that when they're even young? I think you can sometimes, right? Um, And so they would, the name would represent who that person was. And Solomon is saying a good name is better than fine-smelling perfume. You can, it, it goes down to character. In other words, character is like gold and silver, a person's name. And so you may have a name in the community, you all do. And it's not based upon, hey, this is what Karen or Victor, Edwin, that's not what I'm talking about. They know your name represents character, right? And when people think about you, they're not just saying your name. They're thinking about, oh, that person cheated me on something, or that person did that, or that person was really kind to me when I was in a difficult time. They were there for me, right? Or they're a good friend. See, your name isn't just a name. There's character attached to it. And Solomon is getting at character. And why he says the things that he says here about going to the funeral and and all these things is that our character is shaped probably more through the difficult moments of life than it is through the good times of life, right? Isn't character kind of shaped in the difficulties of life? And so the second principle is the wise allow suffering to shape their character. The wise allow suffering to shape their character. And why do I say allow? Because suffering can either make you bitter or it can make you better, right? It can make you bitter or it can make you better. Whether it is death, whether it is failure, whether it's the difficult things in life, it can make you either bitter or it can make you better. And so the wise allow the difficult moments of life, whether it's death, struggles, frustrations, or failures, they allow that to make them better and to become who God has called them to be and develop their character. Now, I, um, I heard a good quote this week. It was um, from a quarterback. So Edwin, it was Kirk Cousins, right? All right. He said, tough times don't last, but tough people do. And I thought, you know what? That's it. I've heard it before, I think. It's been a while since I heard it, though. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. And it's in those difficult moments that character is formed and shaped and molded. And I don't wish suffering upon anybody, but if God allows suffering into your life, don't let it make you bitter, but allow it to refine you and to shape your character. Now, gold must go through a process. It is not taken from the mind and ends up on your ring just like that, right? It has to go through a process, right? And that process is called refining, which includes what? Heating it up, right? And melting it. And as it's melted, then the impurities come to the top and they clean off the impurities. And I think they even do it. The more times they do it, the more pure the gold is. Your character is like that. It's refined through the sufferings of life. And um, if you want, um, I just encourage you, allow the suffering of life to refine and shape you. It's the fire of life, but you'll end up with pure gold. Amen? Number three, verses 7 through 10. You can stay right in that same chapter. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. Do not quickly provoke your, uh, be provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? Oh, I'm going to step on some toes. Actually, Solomon is. All right. All right. 
For it is not the wise to ask such questions. So what is Solomon getting at here? Here he gives some pitfalls that can obstruct us from growing in our wisdom. All right? He's going to name four of them. So Chris will even put those up on the screen. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. What are some pitfalls that can keep us from growing and being wise? First of all is corruption. Uh, Corruption, what do we mean? Extortion. Extortion is where you use your power, your authority to get money or something from somebody they can't defend themselves or stand up for themselves. So um, gangs or mob bosses, right? In the big cities, they would extort people saying, hey, we'll protect you guys, but you're going to have to pay something, right? We'll protect you. They're extorting people, right? Um, A bribe is, is similar in that you use money to shift the scales of justice. You're going to bribe somebody so that you can pervert or change justice from being done. Both of those are wrong, and they will keep you from wisdom and growing in wisdom. Number two is impatience. Ooh, none of you are impatient, I'm sure, right? And this this verse is a creative way showing that um, patience is a virtue and that impatience can lead to pride and unfinished projects. You know, if we were to go to your house, how many unfinished projects would we see, right? Um, Patience. Impatience will keep you from walking in wisdom. Number three, anger. Ooh. You know, anger is an emotion that God gave us. Did you know that? Anger is not always bad. Uncontrolled anger is. If we can't channel and control our anger and things fly across the room, and things break, people get hurt. That's out-of-control anger, and it will keep you from walking in wisdom. Um, anger is a, is a difficult thing, and it will destroy others. It will destroy you and what you cherish most. Anger must be controlled if you're going to walk in wisdom. And number four is nostalgia, Right? And probably the older you get, the more you like nostalgia. You remember the good old days, right? What is wrong with nostalgia? What is wrong with nostalgia? Well, the key is that if you want to walk in wisdom and live in the past, you'll not be able to guide, be relevant in the future. And so there's a quote from one of my commentaries that says, One cannot face the difficulties of one age by pining for another. And I thought, wow, that is a pretty good quote. And we all wrestle with that. I'm, you know, I wish I was 20 or 30, but I'm not, okay? And the older you get, the more, we all deal with it, folks, that nostalgia, we remember the good memories, but those can keep us from being relevant and to address the concerns of the future. That applies to our life personally, but guess what? It applies to even as churches, right? That is the difficult thing is that sometimes we, as, as a church moves forward, things change and you almost have to create a culture change, but change, how many like change? I don't. Do you? I mean, I like when, when things are, you know, sometimes lively or different or things like that, but sometimes it's kind of like, why can't we just keep things the same way, right? They keep changing it on us, right? Right? They went and went ahead with a digital bulletin, Right? Just go and say it. <laughs> right? Just, just bring it home, right? They went with that digital bulletin. But change, addressing the future, being relevant. It, it's not always easy, folks. 
But if you're going to address the things of the future, you have to keep that forward looking. You have to appreciate the past, but you can't live there because it'll keep you from enjoying the present and being relevant there. So, wow. Guess, guess what? That, that was there, huh? It's good, Solomon. Number four. You're going to have to jump ahead to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 10. If the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. You know, life will dull you. Did you know that? Just like the knife in your kitchen or the axe in your garage, use will dull it. Nothing wrong with it. It's just you have to sharpen it, right? Because use will dull those tools, right? And so the wise person will take the time to find the sharpener and sharpen it, right? The axe, the kitchen knives, whatever the case may be. But what do we do? Think, man, I need to take time to sharpen that, but I right? And we work harder instead of more efficiently, right? And then sometimes because it's dull, we actually hurt ourselves. And if it's the axe, man, we're just swinging so much harder, working so much harder because the axe is dull, right? And often life gets so busy that we don't take time to sharpen the knives, the axe, the chainsaw chain, the lawnmower blades. We can go down the list, right? And, you know, Solomon may be talking about his, the axe, literally. But it talks about just life in general, that if we don't take time to sharpen ourselves, we get dull. And you look at leadership books, once you get into those your 40s, if you don't keep sharpening your skills, that edge you had when you were 20 and 30 is going to get dull. And you're no longer going to be effective as you once were if you don't keep developing those, those talents and the skills that you have. You're going to get dull. I'm afraid to say that. Your wife or your husband maybe hasn't said it, but you're going to get dull, okay? I will get dull. You have to sharpen yourselves. Um, and so the wise take time to sharpen their mind, their skills, their talents, their spiritual disciplines, and their physical body. They work smarter, not harder. So the fourth principle is the wise keep themselves sharp. Now you can all go home today and sharpen your knives, okay? I hope you do that. All right? My wife will say, okay, we need to sharpen all the knives today. So I'll do that. But I hope you do more than that. I hope that you do what you can to keep your, your physical body, your emotions, your spiritual life, that you keep those things sharp. You know, if, it would be great if we could just float, you know, just find, just float through life and stay sharp. And, but we can't do that. We have to keep challenging ourselves. We get stuck in ruts. So what are you doing to challenge yourself to be better? What books are you reading? What continuing education courses are you taking? You don't have to take them for credit. You can just take them for to learn a new language. When's the last time you learned a new language? You, did you know when you do stuff like that, you create neural pathways and you use part of your brain? You know what? We, how much of our brain do we actually use? Like 10% of it, honestly? We use so little of our brain, and God gave us this enormous brain that is, has such great potential, but we don't create, we, we don't continue to do new things, and we don't create those neural pathways. If you do that, you'll actually increase in your wisdom and knowledge. Just a little tidbit there. 
Are you taking your Sabbath rest to refresh your body, soul, and mind? You need to do that. That is the way you can sharpen your spirit and your body. Are you digging deep into the Bible to discover its truth for you? You know, Bible study is enjoyable, but when you start digging deep, it's a little bit like digging for gold. It's hard work, okay? And you're going to have to wrestle with stuff. And at times people come say, I can't understand this. People come to me. And it's kind of like, you know, I want to walk with them. I don't want to just totally bail them out. I want to walk with them a little bit and help them because it's in the wrestling that you find the gold. You find those gold nuggets and it's meaningful to you, okay? Dig deeper into God's Word. Prayer. You know, prayer is, is tough work. You know, if we just ha- throw up those Hail, Mar- Hail Marys every once in a while, that's not hard work, folks. But when we seek God and fervently pray, God hears our, our prayer and it's hard work. Don't swing a dull axe. Sharpen your life. And uh, work in a way that is enjoyable, more productive, and efficient. Amen? Isn't that spiritual? I think it is. More than we realize. Number five. Let's go to chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. There's some old songs like this. Cast your bread upon the water. Right, Rex? Right there? Okay. We're going to talk about that. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, it'll re- you'll receive a return on it. Invest seven ventures, yes, in eight. Do you not know what disaster may come upon the land? If the clouds are full of water, they will pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, <laughs> there it will lie. Isn't that profound? All right. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks to the clouds will not reap. As you know the path of the wind, you know, as, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb. So how can you understand the work of God, the maker of all things? Sow your seed in the morning. And at evening, let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will be equally well. So, um, ver- verse 1 of chapter 11, I think older translations say, cast your bread upon the water, and in days it'll come back to you. You know, and there's songs that are written after that, and people are thinking, what in the world am I singing? Cast your bread upon the water. What does that mean? Well, the NIV, the newer version of the NIV says, ship your grain across the sea. For in many days you will receive a return. What are they talking about? They're saying that, you know, back in those days they would send out ships. And we still do that today, right? And they would go out and they would trade and they would bring back wealth, okay, and and provisions. But there was risk involved in sending out your ships, right? You send out some money and they take out the ship. You could They could hit a storm or maybe they'd hit an enemy and and they would maybe lose all that they had in their ship, right? But often those ships would return, and they would return with bounty, things that they had found, and they traded for, and they would bring it back. And what he is talking about here in all these things and, and planting, you know, you wait for the right day, and if you, sometimes if you wait for the right day, you'll never get your grain in the ground. Or you wait for the right day, you'll never get your harvest in, right? There's always risk going to be involved and getting a return. Investing, right? He says, invest your ventures in one place. No, he said seven or in an eight, right? Yeah, somebody was responding to me. Good. He says, invest in my. Why? Because one of those or two of them may flop. But the other six will do well, and you're going to get a return. 
You know, so that's why, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket in one stock. Mutual funds, they diversify, most of them, and they diversify in different areas. But even there, you should invest in real estate and other things. You should have those things spread out. Why? Because there's always risk involved to get a return. The point is, the wise take calculated risks. Now, I, I don't think Solomon is saying go out there and take risks. You know, go jump off of a cliff or go, you know, I, I always wonder those people that jump off the cliff with the wingsuit or whatever they call those things. I think those people are, I don't know, I don't, that, that's just a little too much for me. I was watching the guys skydive yesterday. They kind of just skydive right above our house. I just know the plane, what it sounds like. It's kind of, oh, they're skydiving today. And then you hear the, the parachute open. You know, did you know you can hear it? Yeah, I hear it. Rex, you probably hear it from your place too. You know, and you see them come down. There's a couple trips yesterday they took down. There's a little bit of risk involved in that, right? Um, I haven't seen any of those guys fall to the ground. They've all come down the way they're supposed to. But there's always a risk, right? You know, in life, there is always risk. If you never step foot outside your house, you're never going to go anywhere in life. You're not going to make money. You're not going to accomplish anything. There's always risk involved. The wise learn to take calculated risks. In other words, you, you do your research, but you realize there's always going to be some risk, and you cover that risk by diversifying, by doing great things like that, acting smart. You know, as spiritually as a church, we take risks as well. We try outreaches. We try new things. Sometimes they work, and sometimes they don't. That's okay, isn't it? Did you know that's okay to try something and then not work out? That's okay. That's okay. But we have to take risks if we're going to accomplish things. Um, at the conference Paul and I were at, um, Donna Barrett, who's our general secretary, was there. She's uh, um, Sarah looked it up, and she was she is uh, within the assembly. She's uh, she was a lead pastor in, I think, Ohio, and then uh, she be- got elected to the position of our general secretary. But she's kind of the highest promoted within the assemblies, uh, our leadership. So, um, but I think it was her that just talked about the parable of the talents. And the talents wasn't talking about giftings in that story. It's talking about a measurement of gold, right? A talent of gold. But it kind of goes well that, you know, three servants were given a certain amount. One was given five, one was given two, and one was given one. The one with the two with five and two went out and they did what with it? They hit it, right? No, what'd they do? They invested it, right? And they actually doubled their money. Pretty good. But the one guy with the one, he just went and hid his in the ground, and he came back with one. He didn't do anything with it. Now, he didn't have any risk, but he also didn't accomplish anything with it, right? And what did the master say to him? You foolish and wicked servant. You could at least put it at the bank and made interest on it, but you did nothing with it. And the truth that it comes through there is that God has given us, whether it is our gifts, whether it's our talents, whether it's our time, whether it's our financial resources, God does just not want us to keep it to ourselves and hide it under a bush. He wants us to take it, to take risks, and to invest it in His kingdom, right? And I'd, to use your talents and gifts in this world and to further His kingdom here on earth, whether it's your time, whether it's your talents, whether it's your financial resources, whatever it is, don't keep it all to yourself. You're going to be like that lonely man that we just talked about that had nothing to live for and died lonely. 
God wants us to use what He's given us for His glory, for His honor. If He's given you great skills and talents, use it for all His glory. Is there risk involved? Absolutely, there is. There is. When the worship team got up here today, this was Phil's first Sunday leading worship. There's a little bit of risk involved. Were you just a little bit nervous the first time here? You've led worship a lot, but this is the first time here, right? There's risk involved. Man, I remember the first time I got up to do a trumpet solo. That was bad, folks. I didn't do it many times after that. It was just confirmation that I took a risk and that wasn't it. So there was other things that God wanted me to do. But there's always risk, okay? Use what God has given you for His glory. Don't keep it to yourself. Take those risks. Number six, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to go to 13. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moons and the stars grow dark and the clouds return to uh, return after the rain. You know, you're, the older you get, the more your eyes grow dark, folks. Okay, it's true. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors of the, to the street are closed, and the sound of the grinding fades, when the people rise up at the sound of the birds, but all their songs grow faint. When the people are afraid of heights and the, of the dangers of the street, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along. When does the grasshopper drag itself along? Fall, right now, right? You'll see them out there and they're just kind of dragging along. They're kind of pretty lethargic, right? Because it's the end of their life, right? They're dragging themselves along, kind of like we get out of bed sometimes, right? Some, just some of you, not, not all of you, but you know who you are. All right. I'm just joking with you guys. And the desire no longer is stirred when people go to their eternal home and mourners go about in the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the broken bowl is broken. So you can imagine the silver cord holding this precious golden bowl and this cord is broken and it falls to the ground. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, at the well, and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground from where it came from, the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. What is Solomon saying? He's saying, you know what? Find God. Remember your Creator before you meet your Maker. Right? There's going to be a time when we all pass away, right? Our time is going to come. And Ecclesiastes talks about there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. That is part of God's natural cycle. That day is going to come, and before that day comes, make sure that you know God. And so the sixth point there is the wise fear God before the silver cord is severed. And we don't ever know that day, do we? We don't know when that day that God's going to call us home. We don't. I remember one time, I was in my 20s, we were in our first pastorate, and I was coming back from hunting one day, going down a dirt road, gravel road, and it was a shelter belt at both 
at that corner so you couldn't see the oncoming traffic. And I remember at the last minute there was another truck that was coming fast and we were able to avoid each other. He ended up in the ditch. I kind of ended up off the side there. But I don't know if that was one of the closest times I ever felt like, whew, that could have been done right there, right? Um, we don't ever know our time. And so we have to live our life in such a way we need to find God um, before that silver cord is severed. And I would even add that, you know, sometimes, and Solomon alludes this, that in our youth we kind of sow our wild oats, right? We all know what that expression means. We go out and do things and we want to enjoy life, right? But there's always a cost to all that. Um, God forgives us of our sins, but there is always consequences to our sin, right? In other words, God may forgive you, but you're still going to have to serve your time in jail if you broke the law, Right? That's still man's law, and you're still going to have to pay the price for that. You can go out there and, and do other things, and sometimes we pay the price in our body or sometimes in our spirit or sometimes in broken relationships. We pay the price because of our consequences. God forgives us, yes, but there's still that cost. And I guess what I would encourage if you're young, find God now. Give God your life now. Because I believe that not only God, you have the hope of heaven, but you also have his blessing right here, right now, right? God's, God's truth is not there to restrict us. It's there to bless us, to bless us in a great way. Um, whether it's our health, whether it's our relationships, whether it's our finances, all that we do with our hands, God wants to bless us and give us favor. And so if we give him our life, in those beginning stages, I believe it's um, the sky's the limit of what God can do th- for us and through us. He can give us the peace of mind, financial stability, physical and emotional health, God's joy and happiness in our life. All of those things are a gift from God. So those are words of wisdom to live by. Amen? I'm going to have the musicians come. Solomon provides a lot of stuff. And we... There's more that we could have touched upon. We just didn't have time today. But much of the wisdom that Solomon talks about comes from God. You know, we learn from other things and we can get wisdom and knowledge from a lot of things. But Solomon realized that when he put God first, um, the pursuit of pleasure, wisdom, knowledge, work, all those things had meaning. But without God, it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Because God ultimately is the one that gives us the ability to enjoy those things. Chase after God, not the wind. Amen? I can't make that decision for you. That has to be your own choice within your heart. And um, we all have to wrestle with that. With God, there's joy, there's meaning, there's purpose, there's blessing, there's well-being. Amen. I want to lead us in a, just a prayer of salvation and then a prayer of blessing over you all. And um, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you don't, He isn't that first place in your life. Maybe you've been wrestling with some of that, just pursuing God or pursuing some of the other things in life. Because there is a pull there, if we're going to be honest, whether it's with riches or or the pursuit of pleasure, or the fame of just relationships we want to fit in. There's pressures there, folks. And they pull at our heart.
And so we need to find God, right? And so would you pray with me this morning? If that's you, and you, I'm just going to encourage you all to pray with me, just a prayer of salvation. And let's just pray that to, together today, saying, Dear God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me when I've pursued other things other than you. Be my Lord and my Savior. And give me the hope of heaven. In your name we pray. Amen. And Father, this morning I just pray for each one of us. And Solomon wrote out these words of wisdom. And he did it in a sarcastic way. But there's truth to what he has said. And the worst thing for any of us would be to get to the end of our life and when our eyes grow dim and our, our body is failing and to realize that all that we did was meaningless. How, how, how devastating that would be. Lord God, my prayer is that each one here, they get to the end of their life, their eyes may grow dim, their body may be failing, but they can say, man, I, I, I did what was right. I, I invested in what was valuable. And, and now I'm going to enter into God's presence. I'm wealthy. I'm rich. Because I put God first. And He's blessed me beyond measure with, with family, with accomplishments, with things that have stirred my heart in happiness and joy. That is my prayer that each of you could finish strong and finish well. Knowing that they finished the race. Paul said at the end of his life in 2 Timothy, he says, I've run the race. I finished it. And now... There awaits me God's riches, His crown of righteousness in heaven. And that is my prayer for all of us, is that we can say that we finished the race that He's marked out for us. Lord, we give You the thanks, we give You the praise, we ask it in Your name. Amen. Amen. Father, this morning I pray that You'd go with us, bless us. We're Your people. and Lord God, we can't go back and change anything before this moment. Oh, we can rectify some things, but Lord God, I pray that from today, Lord, if there's adjustments that need to be made in our life, Lord God, we want to walk in wisdom, and it, it involves several things and more that we talked about today, but Lord God, above all things, help us to find you and to make you the center of our life, because if you're not there, Lord God, wealth, accomplishments, knowledge, and even the fun things of life just are meaningless unless you're in that center, Lord. You're the one that allows us to enjoy the things of life, that happiness, Lord God. And I do believe, God, you want us to enjoy life, to be happy. And so, Lord God, help us to walk with you, keep you in that center, Lord. We give you the thanks, we give you the praise, your name we ask. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Hey, next Sunday, next Sunday is what? It's Halloween, right? It's next Sunday, but it is Halloween. So next Sunday we're going to be doing, I'm going to be doing a message that addresses Halloween. And if, if you have some questions about that and just the way I need to draft the message, I think I would, uh, you know, just maybe things you don't understand about Halloween. I believe it is, there is a spiritual component to Halloween. And so um, I want to address some of that, what Scripture maybe has to say. But if there's some specific questions along that line, I would appreciate your feedback that would help me just to make it a little more uh, just relevant. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.